we're a huge global outlier on guns. And with guns, sometimes we're hamstrung by federal policy and federal laws, as we've seen. But we're, we're committed here in the legislature to do everything that we can to move the needle. So I think we will see a number of bills. There's a number of things that I'm involved with that are kind of come forward this year yeah. that we think can move the needle. But in a lot of areas, we're tweaking, right? We have good gun safety laws. How can we tweak them to make them better? We have good safe storage laws. How can we tweak them to make them better? We have red flag laws that we kind of help pioneer. How do we make sure that information gets out about them to, to all the sheriffs and all the local counties that have to deploy and enforce these laws? Hello and welcome again to another episode of Sacktown Talks. I'm your host, Jared Blonnie, and today we're joined by Senator Josh Becker. Josh, thanks for joining us. How's it going? It's good. Thanks to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Sorry. I nice know. It's, it's good to finally have you in. Uh, I know you were, you were, when were you first elected? In 2021, is that it? Yeah, I started 2021. Yeah, elected 2020. Yeah, it's kind of funny during COVID, you know, not a lot of us hasn't been getting to go around and see people. So it's, it's fun to kind of talk to the new members and kind of get a little background and get a, get a little, know a little bit about them. Ugh, a little slow there <laughs> today. Uh, so Josh, I guess for our listeners who don't know, kind of, can you kind of tell us about your background and how you, you know, decided to get into politics? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. You know, I had a lot of different experiences, both in the public sector, private sector, mm-hmm. nonprofit sector, and uh, really starting out with, uh, you know, working in politics on the East Coast. Um after going down to Central America, getting inspired to get involved, I got involved with some campaigns, worked on Capitol Hill, was a press secretary, and um, until the Democrats lost the House, yeah. the Senate, uh, we lost, the member I was working for lost, and um, that was really the time I came out to California. And right before I came out, I got involved with starting an early internet company, and that really led me to focus on technology for 10 right. to 20 years around clean tech and later in biotech. But I had a nonprofit for 20 years called Full Circle Fund. And Full Circle Fund, what we tried to do was look holistically at issues like education, climate, um, affordable housing, a lot of the same things I'm working on today, uh, but look strategically across the Bay Area and figure out, you know, how to do grant making. And in that process, I started thinking more and more about the incredible opportunity it was to um, set policy for the state of California and the, and the opportunity to leverage the incredible platform um, that could exist if you could make it up to Sacramento. And that's right. when I started thinking more about running. Interesting. So I guess where were you, where were you born and kind of where'd you grow up? I was uh, born in New York, but really Philadelphia is where I grew up, suburban Philadelphia. And then where'd you go to uh, school? I went to Williams College, a liberal arts school in Western Massachusetts, very uh, small liberal arts uh, school, and then came out to Stanford for law school and business school. Okay. And then you, after law school, you went back to, to DC and that's when you started no, working in politics? No, that was or? all pre, uh, that was all pre Stanford. Okay. Interesting. So what, you said you worked in Congress. What, what member did you work for? I worked for a name, Marjorie Margolis Mezvinsky. And I volunteered on her campaign. I was an intern. She, um, ended up winning. She was running to be the first Democrat in 116 years wow. from the Philadelphia suburbs where I grew up. And she ended up winning a very upstart race. And uh, her press secretary was our press person on the campaign, which was Jake Tapper. You may see he's the, mm-hmm. the CNN political commentator. Right. And um, so when Jake left, I took over. Uh, interesting. And so what was this like in like the mid 90s? Is that? Yeah. Early 90s. Early 90s. Yeah. And then uh, what? what when did she lose and when did you like come out west? 
She lost in 94, kind of the Gingrich takeover of the government contract on America for right. our listeners who who remember uh, remember back that far. But um, that was really when I think, you know, D.C. started to get much more polarized and um, much more unhealthy, really started with Gingrich and, and that election of 94. But, yeah, we lost our seat and Democrats lost the House and Senate. And uh, it was time for me to leave D.C. So, you know, you're on the East Coast, you know, your whole life at that point. Kind of what brought you out West and, you know, thought to come out to California? Well, I was always going to go to law school. My dad was a law school professor mm-hmm. and I was very focused on law school. And I was applying really to law public policy programs and um, in, and got into several of those. But um, at Stanford, they didn't really have like a classic government program. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a friend of mine said, well, you can get a certificate in public management at the business school. And... I said, well, that sounds interesting. And so I applied to that and ultimately was deciding between law, public policy, or law, business. And I decided that, you know, I'd been on the Hill at that point right. for a while and I'd sort of seen a bit how the sausage was made. So I thought policy school would be really interesting, mm-hmm. but um, I thought I'd seen the inside of it a little bit. And business school, I thought I would not like. I thought it'd be like medicine. I'd right. be like, I'm not going to like it, but it'd be good for me. Uh, just to get that experience, and and I could get that the, also that certificate in public management, and so that was ultimately the decision. That was really the the reason I came out here to California for that program. How like was law school? You know, being that your dad was a law school professor, yeah. like was it already implanted in you? Was it easier, or you know, could you call dad for help? <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, no. It doesn't quite work that way. Um, but uh, the Jenny, you know, it was great being out in in Silicon Valley for four years during that time. Uh, by that point, you know, I'd been invited, you know, when Marjorie lost, as, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. we started an early internet company. So that kind of got me kind of deeper. Yeah, in that's the like right, you know, so what, what year did you graduate? You start getting the internet. That's like right when everything started blowing up, right? Yeah. Tech wise. Yeah. We started our company in 94 and then I graduated in 99 and that was right at the peak of the first dot-com wave. Crazy. And yeah. so kind of what, what was it like back then? You know, I, I remember like everyone, you know kind of like everyone talks about this tech bubble. Well, that one was was even a little more out there, huh, for the, the time? Yeah, I mean, it's exciting. You know, there's a lot of real innovation. Uh-huh. There's also a, a lot of things that, you know, probably shouldn't have been funded and ultimately crashed. Right. Um, but when the whole thing came crashing down, it was like, you know, nuclear winter. I mean, it was just, there really wasn't much going on at all uh, in, in the tech world. And so um, then I left and I went to an enterprise software company uh, for four years uh, called Agile Software. So I got to have that experience, which was interesting. So I got really to spend more time on the company side and and um, and learn that part of the business. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting, but things were really shut down. Right. Um, kind of, you know, you know that you kind of worked in Guatemala during the 90s, kind of like, what was that experience like? And kind of how is that, you know, I guess being in a third world country and seeing how other people live, how's that kind of shaped kind of how you look at things up here and, and you know, things that we can do better you know, as, as, you know, legislators. Yeah. I was out last night with our, our woman of the year. Uh, my pick, I picked jointly with Assemblyman Berman, uh, Belinda Ariaga, who runs ALAS, which is an organization that supports farm workers in the San Mateo coast. People don't realize that but we've got thousands of farm workers there and kind of a, shi- uh, a, a, a spotlight got shined on after the, the kill. You know, mm-hmm. we had the shooting there. Oh yeah, yeah. If you remember a couple months ago, um, Anyway, she's an incredible. It's an incredible organization. Please look it up. Um, but um, in that, I ended up starting telling this whole story, and they didn't know. They're like, "How do you not tell me this story? How do you not know?" So I, I could I could tell the the long version of the short version. But um, essentially, went down to Guatemala to do human rights accompaniment work. This is where people would accompany U.S. 
um, uh, people from the U.S. would accompany human rights figures so they didn't get blown up, essentially, which was happening in the early 90s. And um, so we were there to accompany refugees on the return from uh, from southern Mexico, San Cristobal de las Casas, crossing the border back to Guatemala. And, um, and so we were in those refugee camps there. When that return got postponed, we went over to El Salvador, where they had just signed a peace treaty and worked in a community of repatriated refugees. So these were people where the women and children had fled to Honduras uh, during the brutal civil war mm-hmm. there uh, and had come back and reestablished a, a, a community called Copapayo. Um, 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 and, well, actually, sorry, our, commu- our, our uh, community is called El Sitio, but there had been a, um, a massacre in their previous community, and they'd reestablished this community called El Sitio. And we're there to just to support uh, originally building center block houses. And we were trying to create a basic, very basic daycare center for the women who had to work in the fields and build houses. So it was a really intense experience. So there was no school in the community. Uh, There had been some supplies donated. um, So we ended up buying books and started teaching basic literacy and math and establishing a basic school there. So um, what was really incredible was just getting to know the, the people really well in our community, which was about, you know, 350 people. And um, seeing that fundamentally everyone's the same right. and uh, has the same hopes and dreams and uh, and problems and issues. And um, and just uh, it was a really unique experience that, you know, just really couldn't replicate. Um, and um, so it does it does um, probably, you know, create my interest in farm workers and uh, immigrant communities for sure. But I think in general approaches. um you know, a lot of the issues that I work on and kind of the social justice orientation. Right. Yeah. You, you know, I guess before you were elected, you spent a lot of time in what uh, venture capital, but kind of venture capital on, on the good side, right? Investing in you know, clean tech and companies that, you know, go out and do good. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that experience and kind of some of the work you did? Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of ways to have impact and I'm really enjoying this role, but there's, you know, there's, uh, I'd worked, as I mentioned, with we, a nonprofit called Full Circle Fund that we funded other nonprofits for 20 years, and then also started an early impact investing fund where we invested in things that only had a social mission. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, the extended green economy was one. Uh, the other one was uh, inner city. The other theme was inner city and ethnic entrepreneurs. And we started doing this, you know, kind of 15 years ago. And I'd say people are focusing on it now. But right. we were, so we were kind of uh, leaders maybe there early on. And... Um, and it was interesting. It was sort of the again the early days of of clean tech, um, but you know a lot of the innovations there now are kind of bearing fruit, right? Um, so the price of solar has come down ninety percent over ten years, three hundred percent over thirty years, and a lot of it's those different companies working at different parts um, of the uh, you know of of solar, right? Just tweaking each little part to make everything cheaper, right? Um, and so it just gave me great familiar. We really focus on sort of the extended green economy. Uh, so not big manufacturers, but uh, things like, you know, energy efficiency and helping people. Uh, there's a company called Opower, which is really comparing people via the energy bill mm-hmm. and turning that into market do- a marketing document for energy efficiency that ended up being really successful. So it was really fascinating. And we started Clean Tech for Obama. We really rallied nationally the kind of green energy and clean, clean business community uh, for Obama and um, and you know and that was informative for me too because it, after he won in 08, um, there was some good things that happened for sure. But I also saw how difficult it was at the federal level right. to set clean energy policy, mm-hmm. and um, um, 
And so that's, again, where I started really focusing more on California as a lever. We said, hey, this is the you know fourth at the time, maybe sixth largest economy in the world. If it was a country, um, if we can really move the needle here, we can help lead uh, lead the country and lead the nation. Yeah. And I, I think that's you know, something that's cool. Someone with your background up here yeah. in the Capitol, uh, making law, making decisions on budget issues and things like that. Kind of, you know, having your background and what you know, kind of what are you excited and kind of what do we need to you know specifically look at kind of in this kind of green area to kind of make the steps, make the goals that we really want to make? Yeah. Well, it's really about every area of the economy. I mean, that's mm. what's exciting about it. Um, and so my team, we look at it holistically. We know we've got 420 million metric tons of CO2. We got to get to zero. So it's a very tangible <laughs> metrics driven uh, situation. We're reducing at 1% a year. We need to be reducing about 5% a year. Right. So we know we need to move a, a lot faster. So my very first year had a bills on a number of things, including cement. And if you read Bill Gates's book, he always says, what about cement? Because cement and concrete themselves um, are 8% of, of world carbon emissions. Mm. And in my very first year, we got a bill for uh, net zero cement. And it was actually the only segment of the California economy that had a net zero target uh, at the time. So, you know, just look at where you can have impact. Transportation's about 50%. So we've worked there. Buildings, I have a number of big bil- bills on buildings this year um, and passed a bill my first year on electric-ready homes. Uh, that's about 15%. We have the grid, which is about 15% of our emissions and uh, bills on transmission and interconnection and kind of wonky stuff regarding the grid. And then agriculture. Agriculture mm-hmm. is 8%. So I have a bill on car, you know, cow burps um, and uh, what they call enteric fermentation, uh, which is, you know, critical part of, of emissions. So you have to really, and that's what's exciting about it. And also the challenge is literally every area of the economy. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I'm really excited this year for my bills on uh, on buildings and and also looking at carbon removal, right? Even our most uh, ambitious uh, scenarios, we have uh, to remove 65 million metric tons of CO2 every right. year in 2045. And right now, you know, we're we're doing very little of that. So I have a bill to set a long term predictable market for carbon removal. So there's just a lot to do, and that's what's really exciting about it. Yeah, I guess for our listeners who don't know, like what what are the ways to remove carbon, and kind of what are we currently doing on that? Yeah, well, both nature based solutions. But what we're seeing is, uh, again, entrepreneurs innovating. So things like direct air capture. These are literally just machines mm-hmm. that capture CO2. Um, this is not point source emissions like carbon capture right. and sequestration. This is uh, just removing carbon from the atmosphere and finding ways to bury it. And right now it works. It's just very expensive. And so the question is, can you create a predictable market so you bring down the cost over time? Right. Um, but uh, we've seen entrepreneurs invest in other ways. I mean, there's folks who are sequestering CO2 in carbon you know, using, uh, sorry, in cement, actually using that process kind of in reverse to sequester carbon. So there's lots of innovative ideas and that's what we want to try to stimulate that. Yeah. It's pretty cool because, you know, you you work in venture capital and here you are, you're chairman of a budget subcommittee, kind of dealing on kind of climate and the environment and things like that. Kind of, what are some of your budget goals this year in that committee? Uh, A lot. I mean, we'll have our our hearing this this, uh, week on, um, you know, on really the climate package and, the goal again is to move as fast as possible. And we have to do that by, especially in a tough budget environment, by getting the most bang for our buck. And mm-hmm. so that's what I'm very focused on is what are those solutions that are getting us the biggest bang for the buck, um, both in terms of removing carbon from the atmosphere, as well as, you know, environmental justice goals, right? Making sure that we do this in a way that kind of empowers traditionally disadvantaged communities. Um, you know, we're not going to reach our goals of having of electric vehicles if we don't have infrastructure in poor communities, right? If there's not right. uh, appropriate incentive for folks there to uh, buy electric vehicles. So 
it's really, um, again, it's a great challenge and a great opportunity. Uh, and uh, what's terrific with the subcommittees, we get to look at each piece of that. Uh, the other big things are wildfires and making sure that uh, we're using new technologies to fight wildfires mm-hmm. and that our aerial resources are appropriate, uh, along with, uh, um, you know, just finding the men and women who are on the front lines themselves uh, of, of fighting these fires. So uh, we've made a big uh, move over the last few years to focus on prevention, and I'm really excited about that. We had a, we're fortunate to uh, have a good fire year, meaning a good Right, a less bad fire year last year, and um, but hopefully this year too. But you know, we still got a lot of work to do. Yeah, kind of. What is your kind of position on housing and affordability and homelessness, and kind of how do you plan to promote more equitable access to housing in your district and kind of across California? Yeah, well, we need a lot more affordable housing, mm. and unfortunately, our affordable housing finance in the state is is quite Byzantine, and so I'd like to see over time that we simplify that. Um, but in the meantime, as far as regards to homelessness, uh, we got to invest in solutions at scale. Like, right, how can we get um, lots of people off the streets very quickly? Right. And you'll be announcing a bill on Thursday. I don't want to scoop it too much um, right here. But um, let's just say there's, you know, we're finding some really innovative models out there that are working uh, to do this. And we want to um, really just kind of juice those up and, and speed them up that much more by taking advantage of excess uh, public land, by making it easier on private land, um, and making sure that these can be both high quality, but also fast and inexpensive. And I think that's what uh, we're going to do with this bill. It's, it's super exciting. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like since COVID, like the world is like the change, especially Northern California, yeah. where everyone used to, you know, live and work, you know, in your district. Yeah. And now people have just moved all over the country or, you yeah. know, all over the world. Um, and now it seems to kind of like, maybe changing back where, you know, businesses are trying to kind of require employees to move. And, you know, there used to be like a great talk about like sustainability, like live, work, you know, everything close, yeah. sustainable. And uh, it's kind of like we've lost that vision or forgot about it. Um, kind of what, what are some of your thoughts about this? It's kind of the world's change and kind of maybe things might be going back and kind of how do we kind of, I guess, kind of get back to where we were to kind of, yeah, kind of make some progress. Well, a couple of things. One is I mean, I'd like to see us. we should be um, diversifying jobs across the state. And so that's where I think we have a big opportunity with these uh, federal laws, with the infrastructure law, with the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, we've not been successful yet in attracting uh, some of those really big uh, government grants and loans to build, say, big battery manufacturing mm-hmm. plants. And we should be focusing on building those in the Central Valley, in the Inland Empire, building whole economies there. As you know, maybe um, I spent 15 years on the board of UC Merced. Um, why UC Merced was I thought, okay, number one, this was a chance to build something from scratch. We mm-hmm. knew ultimately it was going to have tens of thousands of students. Right. And to be part of that kind of founding uh, group and, 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 and thinking about the stories that would be told for years um, with those founding students was just really exciting. But it also, anytime you build a world-class university, eventually you grow an economy around it. And so the opportunity to add jobs and, and add um you know, economic vitality to that area was super exciting to me. And we've definitely seen that already so far, but I think we could use now as the time with all this federal money to, again, br- br- bring some of these factories to areas like Merced um, and, and again, spread jobs more throughout the state. So that's something I'm really excited about. No, no, definitely. Uh, you know, back, that's used to be the, you know, the, the backbone of the Central Valley manufacturing. So that'd be great to 
to see that come back. Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, you had a tragic event this year in Half Moon Bay, the shooting, a yeah. uh, big shock for everyone in Northern California. Kind of, you know, what, what's been going on in the community and kind of what are th- some of the things you guys are working on to, to make sure that doesn't happen again? Yeah. Well, I you know, mentioned that earlier. It was just a huge shock. And in many ways, we're still recovering from it. And um, um, when I was with uh, Belinda, one of my uh, staff members was actually over in Oaxaca. They went to, went from the, she went from the White House. She was invited by NSU to Oaxaca to the funeral of um, one of our farm workers that was killed here. And because he was undocumented for 24 years, even though he built a house in Oaxaca, he couldn't go home. Wow. And the only way he could go home was being, was after being killed. Wow. And is, um, and so it was obviously very emotional for, for everyone. And we were just, they were just recounting that story last night. So it's on my mind, but, um, you know, gun violence is, 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 uh, you know, it's obviously, um, uh, one of the plagues of this country. We're sort of a global outlier in a few areas, um, in terms of our system of for-profit health insurance that makes us have a, um, pay so much for healthcare without mm-hmm. getting great returns for it. Um, uh, the way the, the a lack of funding for things like childcare, um, and um, the amount of people we imprison, and then finally guns. Uh, we're a huge global outlier on guns. And, you know, a lot of things in California, again, in climate, that's why I get so excited, is we can lead the country, we can lead the world. Uh, with guns, sometimes we're hamstrung by the federal policy and federal laws, as we've seen. So, but we're, you know, we're committed here in the legislature to do everything that we can to, um, to, to move the needle. So I think we will see a number of bills. There's a number of things that I'm involved with mm. that are kind of come forward this year yeah. that we think, you know, can move the needle. But in a lot of areas, we're tweaking, right? We have good gun safety laws. How can we tweak them to make them better? We have good safe storage laws. How can we tweak them to make them better? We have red flag laws uh, that we kind of help pioneer. How do we make sure that that information gets out about them to um, to all the sheriffs and all the local counties that have to deploy and enforce these laws. So um, there are some, you know, big ideas we're still working right. on, but a lot of it's sort of tweaking what we already have. I mean, despite the two shootings, California has many fewer gun deaths per capita than other red states that have looser gun laws. Those are just the facts. Right. But, you know, that's not, um, that's not of, of, uh, of um, you know, solace to someone right after shooting like that. Yeah, so, totally. You know, for a lot of us and me, for sure, it's been okay. How do we go back to the drawing board and um, uh, do everything that we can? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you just kind of briefly mentioned kind of healthcare. Can yeah. you kind of talk about your advocacy, kind of for healthcare, and kind of where you see, I guess, California should be in terms of you know affordability and access? Yeah, listen, we've done a lot of great things in terms of increasing access uh, here in California, including to uh, undocumented folks um, uh, in certain age groups. Um, but we're still ultimately fighting, you know, a system, as I mentioned, we're, you know, we're, again, a global outlier. And, um, you know, we're the only country that has this kind of system. There's really three main systems in the world. And we have kind of a little bit of each one, right? We've got the VA, which is kind of like the British system where everything's, where the insurance is public and the doctors are public. Um, we've got our Medicare system, which is kind of like Canada's system. Um, and then um, we've got this, you know, great other you know sort of system sort of for everyone else right? right where we're we've got the health insurance system where and i think just too much money is kind of sucked up by health insurance unfortunately and i would like to see us move to a single payer or a multi-payer uh, model over time um 
in the meantime, you know, we're just still trying to make sure that people have uh, as much access as possible. Um, that, you know, we certainly keep the incentives for doctors to want to come here and practice. We increase the number of doctors, say in the Central Valley, for example, we have a huge shortage, right? So we're trying to build a medical school at Merced, right. and the governor's actually been very supportive of that, which is super exciting. So there's a lot we have, to, a lot we can do in the meantime, but fundamentally, I'd like to see us uh, join the rest of the world and have a, a different process. <laughs> and I guess, you know, something, you know, the third outlier you mentioned is kind of our criminal justice system, right? Yeah. Uh, kind of what are you looking at in criminal justice reform? I know Gavin Newsom was just out at San Quentin. Yeah. And a big announcement out there. But kind of what do you think, you know, we need to work on? Well, it's super exciting. I mean, there, you know, as with climate, you know, our team is trying to take a very holistic approach, looking at everything from how people end up in prison and the, what they call the school to prison pipeline. Right. Uh, number two is sentencing. Um, California has... Um, three times as many people serving life sentences as Texas, even though we're only we're only 25% bigger, but we have three times as many people serving wow. life sentences. In terms of a percentage of people in our prison ser- uh, system serving life sentences, um, we have um, 30% serving life sentences. And Missouri is next up with a, at about 10%. Um, so that sort of tells you um, that we, we may have a... a that we certainly still have an over-incarceration problem, right? Now, we may have an under-incarceration problem in the front end, too. We have to have accountability, and I hear right. that. People want to have accountability for for property crimes and other things that we're, uh, we are seeing a rise, even if it's a very slight rise. Um, but the fact is, uh, with our sentencing policy, we've been sentencing people far too long as well. So that's the second area. Um, third area is just treatment in prison, because we want people to reenter society. And I'm really proud that I passed the the free prison phone call bill that was called Keep Families Connected. <laughs> and I just heard the story last night. Someone was up in Pelican Bay, and this guy came up to him and said he he literally met his daughter for the first time because right. um, he didn't have to make a collect call. He just he could call, and he met his daughter for the first time. And we get letters all the time from people now um, benefiting on that. And this year, I have a bill around canteen, so the egregious markups to very basic things like toothpaste that people right. pay for in prison. Uh, these are all things that inhibit, uh, make it harder for people then to reenter um, society successfully. And so um, that whole area of reentry, um, uh, you know, treat, well, treatments and then really goes in the fourth area of reentry, right? How are we setting people up for success? Uh, I had a bill about restoring voting rights for people coming out of prison, um, which is one piece of it. But really, uh, how we think about treating people both in prison and sort of that first year before you exit so that they're prepared for successful reentry. Um, with Full Circle Fund, the nonprofit I mentioned, we had uh, funded something called Defy Ventures. And we basically do business plan training and entrepreneurship mm-hmm. training in the prisons. Yeah. So I participate. We had the first ever business plan competition in a state prison um, pre-COVID. And it was incredible. Um, so, you know, there's just those are really the four things we're, we're working on. And um you know, it, I, I think, you know, certainly we're having an impact and the state's policy is having an impact yeah. too. That was so interesting. That was something I wanted to ask you is like, you, you know, with all the work you've done with Full Circle yeah. and kind of you get kind of like this little budget, right? And like yeah. what what kind of, what ideas have you got from Full Circle that you could bring here to the state and kind of do on a larger scale? Yeah, I, I'd say, you know, a lot of things that we've talked about um, in terms of um, scaling uh, clean energy mm-hmm. um, and you know, for example, there's a nonprofit called Grid Alternatives, which is saying, hey, great, how can we do job training, uh, take people, um, train them basically to put solar on the rooftops of low-income homes um, and also um, 
you know, lower people's bills, right? So kind of all that sort of same time, right? How can we think about making that sort of a win-win? Right. And that's informed some of the work I've done around equitable, we call it equ- building decarbonization, equitable building decarbonization. Um, so, you know, that's an area for sure. Um, you know, in childcare, we've actually did more my first year than I would have hoped we could do in a decade. We still have a long way to go, but establishing a, a universal a universal TK. Right. So huge. we went from like, yeah, no, you know, really no um, preschool to now every kid in California is going to have at least one year. Some mm-hmm. will have two years um, of preschool. Now there's things we have to do around mixed delivery and other thing to make sure that works optimally. Um, but there's a number of things we'd worked on in there. You know, we'd worked on a statewide ballot initiative on um, on child care that didn't pass way back when. And so to see really child care and early learning. So to see early learning policy advance um, has been huge for me. Uh, those are a couple areas, you know, I think about an area that we worked a lot on, which is like teacher retention, right? We spent, you know, we kind of get teachers in, but right. about 40% of teachers were leaving. Um, and, and COVID, we've seen this as well. So it's kind of interesting thinking back to my, my, yeah. my full circle days and like, okay, what can we do around teacher retention and also teacher recruitment, which we have to do now as well. Um, so thinking back to some of the things we did with full circle, that's fascinating. Uh, you know, this, this winter we've been just hit by storm by storm and, you know, especially in your district, you know, I saw what the San Mateo bridge fell one day, uh, kind of how the storm's been impacting, uh, your district and kind of, uh, you know, what's, what's been going on. Yeah. I have a vast amount of the coast. And so that's really where we've seen some of the worst issues, uh, you know, highway 92, if you've ever mm. been out to Happen Bay, yep. he's like, I was telling them, hey, um, there's a sinkhole forming here. <laughs> and then, like, went next, you know, after the storm, massive sinkhole. But Caltrans really reacted, put a lot of people on there and restored uh, access. But now we have Highway 84 um, in my district, where it was just was dramatically affected in the last storm. Um, and flooding. So we actually built one of the things, good things we did, San Mateo County, thanks to Congresswoman Eshoo and others, we built um, some really terrific farm worker housing called Moonridge. But that was flooding. And so we had to make changes. And my local supervisor, Ray Mule, and others have done that now so that we didn't have a flooding in this last uh, big storm. So um, mobile home parks, particularly, we've seen some bad flooding there. I've been to a number of them that have experienced that. And we're trying to figure out how to, how to, how to prevent that next time. So we've seen you know, some significant flooding and then some really significant effect on our roadways as mm-hmm. well. No, definitely. You're just seeing the potholes form. Yeah. We were driving in the rain and just seeing this big chunk of like cement come towards me. And I was like, oh, that's how a pothole is formed, right? Really? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. pretty, pretty crazy out there. So yeah. hopefully we're using your clean cement to, to fix this all in the summer. Going when, forward. Uh, going forward, yeah. Uh, you know, just before we get you out of here, because I know you got to go, uh, you know, major news event kind of in your area, Silicon Valley Bank uh, and, yeah. you know, the aftermath there. And you were instrumental, you know, following it on Twitter saying, you know, I've been talking to regulators. Can you kind of talk about your involvement kind of, uh, you know, helping solve that for, uh, the, you know, I guess a lot of people in your district would have been affected yeah i was hearing from a lot of people for sure um but our role here was really to just to push the feds I mean, ultimately mm-hmm. it was a federal uh issue um i should say gavin newsom the governor was extremely responsive and was talking directly to the president senator padilla was extremely responsive and giving me regular updates so our i think i felt like our job was sort of help convey this the seriousness of it and um and make sure people knew really this is fundamentally about people making payroll. Right. You know, you just had so many companies that had all their money tied up mm-hmm. and we knew that ultimately they were going to get it. But if they got it three months from now, that wasn't going to be helpful, right. right? They'd have still to lay off everyone on Monday. 
I mean, you're you're under California law. If you can't, if you know you can't pay someone, you're not supposed to keep employing them. And um, so that was really the huge issue, right? We had all this pay, you know, all this money just tied up, and companies on Monday would not be able to make payroll. Right. And so it was a pretty hairy weekend, and um, was really excited when we got the resolution. And we had someone come to our caucus today. We've had a long conversation around it, and took a look at the causes and the effects, and kind of going forward. Um, but certainly we staved off the worst effects of that, right? Which mm-hmm. would have just been all these companies not being able to make payroll. But we're still seeing some of the effects on some of the regional banks. And those regional banks are important, both for companies, for construction loans, right. for other things. And we have to figure that out going forward, the health of those banks. But uh, thank God we, um, you know, the, the feds came through and we're yeah. able to free up that money. Otherwise... It, you know, it was would have been really disastrous. No, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you for so much for coming on and sharing your story. Very interesting stuff, and looking forward to the work you're going to do this coming year. Thanks, and, and for your big announcement on Thursday. So. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, thanks, Josh. <laughs>